Ladies, gents, welcome back to another episode of the Launch Day Podcast. We've got some really exciting things coming up today. Really hoping you guys can uh, tune in, listen. It might be gone for about 30 minutes, an hour. I'm not sure. We're not actually going to cut this one down. However long it takes to get through this, this interview, we are going to do that interview. And what we have and who we have here today, we've actually got uh, Phil Raish here. Uh, so Phil, I mean, rather than me doing a full introduction on who you are, I mean, I'd rather you sort of share with, with the audience exactly who, who you are, what you've done, what you're doing now, that kind of a thing. Take it away, my friend. Give us a bit of an introduction. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate that. It's all good. Mate, who I am, um, I'd like to say an entrepreneur like you are. Mm-hmm. And I've, over the years, have dabbled into a lot of different areas. Uh, back back in the day, I started off in the corporate world in a lot of number of franchises. Um, you know, McDonald's, Alibaba, Kebabs, Easyway Tea, which is you know a Chinese version of Boost Tea. But you've got Gong Cha now, who kind of people would recognise as They're being similar. The market, yeah. Yeah, and um, but one thing that I was I always kind of had was I wanted to have a side hustle, and with a side hustle, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So working in corporate roles, I was working up the ranks. I was in um, mid mid uh, management roles, senior management roles, national roles, and but although I enjoyed them and I learned a lot, I wasn't actually satisfied, and I didn't know what I needed to be satisfied. So I started looking at side hustles and did a whole bunch of different things, like all of us, all those multi level marketing mm. things that we give a go. And yeah. one thing I actually found, <laughs> it's right, it's all the multi level marketing things that we. Well, everyone that's listening right now, uh, 100%, if, if you've made an attempt to start a business, someone has approached you to, uh, to sell isogenics or, uh, you know, like <laughs> resell energy and mobile phone plans and things like that. Mate, 100%. <laughs> Mate, I remember the first one, actually. This is getting off track. But when my wife told me yeah. um, she was pregnant, yeah. at the time, all I did was panic. And I just went back in the day. This was before yeah, websites yeah. were around. I just went through all the uh, classifieds of the papers, looking how to make extra money. Do I mow lawns on the weekend? Do I? What do I do? They're good options, but yeah, go on. (laughs) (laughs) And one of them was that was it. I just I fell victim to the multi-level marketing, and it's got its place. But then, yeah, I actually did, and I did make a little bit of money on the side. Yeah. But then, as you as we all do, you then start to burn out all your family and friends, and you run out of people like that. So. Um, there, there is, I'll, I'll admit, there is people in MLMs that are making money. 100%. But there is a specific pathway to get there and it requires a lot of work. And I compare the amount of work that's put into that, I could make money faster in business. Personally speaking, that's, that's yeah. how I viewed it. Um, but yeah, but yeah, sorry, go on uh, no, with the right. introduction, mate. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> tell us right, all mate. about it. But yeah, look, so yeah, going back to my corporate day, so mm. I looked at a number of things and I went to a franchise show and I actually saw this uh, pad printer and the okay. pad printer put logos on coffee cups and pens and the guy showing the machine had said to me, um, look, I couldn't justify buying it. And he turned around and said, look, why don't you just go out, hit the ground, knock on some doors and see if you get any interest. And then if you get interest, I'll print for you. And then if you get enough interest, then you can buy the printer. I like this. I want to pause you there. Um, you know, just remember where, where you were at, okay? Because someone just had this conversation with me, right? It's very similar. And obviously for a, like a, a printing machine that prints onto pens, things like that, it's expensive. It's a very yeah. expensive purchase. Um, but there's a guy, his name's Rob, 
right? He runs a business called Show Tools International. And it's so funny because just a few weeks ago, he was telling me, he goes, man, he goes, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, I had these guys, so he's in the entertainment business and there's this brand of speakers called RCF. And he had reps before when he was actually running his production business, um, you know, hiring it out to like corporate events and things like that. Yeah. These guys from RCF would go around to all the production companies and they would literally drop off two speakers of RCF and say, I don't want any money for it. Just give it a try. I'll be back in two weeks. Let me know how you go. Awesome. And what happened was they were like, oh, okay, sweet. And so then they started putting them out onto jobs. They loved them and they came back and purchased. And it was like, oh, wow. So like you're, you're, you're sort of, I love how what happened with you is kind of a repeat of the story that I've just been told with Rob, which was, you know, the guy's turning around going, well, why don't you go hit the ground running? I'll print them for you. And then when you realize that there's actually an opportunity here for you, then buy my, buy my product and then start your business. I love that. I absolutely love that. I do want to hear the rest of this story because I just, it was just that moment there where I was like, you know what, this is, this is like maybe the second time in two weeks I've heard this, which is brilliant. It's a really good strategy. So get, take it away. Mate, there are similarities actually, except I didn't have speakers. Yeah. What I did is I printed up uh, two A4 pizza pieces of paper. One had uh, coffee cups on it. Yeah. One had pens on it. Yeah. And then I stapled them together because, you know, I had no budget back then for oh, marketing. Naturally, of course. And, yeah. and I went around with two buckets as well. One bucket was full of fantails and one was full of minties. And wow. all I did was I walked around into every single shop in the industrial area in the Campbelltown area. Mm. And I walked in and I said, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm just here to drop off this flyer and just give you a minty or a fantail or both if you want. And I guarantee you'll just have a squeeze through it and you'll be finished these lollies. Sorry, you'll be finished reading um, the flyer before you finish the lollies. Um, and that was it. And from there, that was where the wild effects had actually started. And that's how we started um, the business. And what we found was I, I had a number every time I knocked on 60 doors. And I still remember this to this day. Mm. I'd knock on 60 doors. I'd get six uh, quote um, requests and I'd generate, I'd convert uh, 50%. So I, every single day I went out, I got three orders. And we're talking, you know, a while ago now, uh, 2006 six it was wow um so back then if i was <laughs> yeah i know so back then knocking on the doors i knew every yeah. single day if i spent four hours knocking on 60 doors i was going to get three orders That's so brilliant. then on those days where it wasn't too hot i'd knock on more doors and i'd get more orders and then i went back and then i'd give um pete the order and then the client would email me the logo i wasn't a graphic designer still I'm still not a graphic designer. Yeah. I'd send it up to a guy who I was using in Queensland at the time. Yeah. And he'd send it to me overnight because, you know, we didn't have Back emails in those days. on yeah, our mobiles. Right. <laughs> yeah, and right. then um, he basically, you know, said, but no one was in a rush back then because everything took its time. And that's, that's right. how the business grew. And then um, Pete would print them. I'd go pick them up from his house, drop them off to the clients, and the business slowly grew. And then customers started asking for business cards and flyers and letterheads and with comp slips back then and pull up banners and A-frames. And then what did you do from there in that situation? So like when people started asking for more, so I'm assuming that this printer that, that this gentleman was trying to sell you could only really print on mugs and pens. hundred percent. So if someone asked for like business cards, I knocked them back. I knocked them back. And then one day I went to Pete as I was yeah. picking an order up and I said to him, Pete, I go, man, everyone's asking me for business cards. And I'm like, I don't do them. And he goes, doesn't matter. There are trade um, suppliers that will do 
with um, brokers. I go, I'm not a broker. He goes, well, if a customer wants something and you're going to do it for them, you go to a trade printer. Mm. So I was like, how do I find these out? And he goes, you get the orders and I'll put you in contact with them. How good. So then he put me in contact with a couple of different trade printers and the business slowly started to grow then. So it's, I'm still working, mind you, in one of my corporate roles at the time. Mm. And then I turned around and clients would ask me, you know, for business cards. You know, I'd send the brief up to the designer up in Queensland. He'd email it to me. I'd email it to the client. They'd mm. email back to me with changes. I'd send it to him. It'd be approved. We'd then order it. It'd be sent to my house um, via courier. Then it'd come to me. I'd take off all the supplier's details. Oh, naturally, of course. And then I'd just leave it at the front of my house. Courier would pick it up and deliver it to the client if it was, you know, more than half an hour from home. Yeah. Or I would then drop it off to the client. Um, and then it slowly evolved into window stickers and then I thought hang on people are asking me now for window stickers there's got to be brokers for window stickers yeah, sure yeah, enough yeah. there is and one thing I've learned in business now yeah. there's a broker for everything you can literally outsource everything when it comes to a business from sales to admin to production as we all know and installation as well so in my corporate role I'm in Queensland and I'm flying down to Sydney for home on the weekend so I'm driving around measuring up all these shop front windows mm. and then emailing off to um, the supplier to do the design mm. and then I'm up in Queensland working away and then I've got a number of jobs being designed and produced in Sydney. So then I'd come down and just have a look at the job after it was so done. So help me understand, so were you primarily based in Queensland at the time? No, 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 Sydney. Sydney. But one right. of my corporate roles at the time, ah, gotcha. um, I was a Queensland franchise manager for, for a business. So I right. was up there for, probably for a period of about six months I was oh, yeah. based in Queensland three out of every four weeks. Okay. So, you, know, you know what I like about this story, right? This, this introductory story and how you started Wild Effects, right? Is the fact that you actually used a designer in Queensland to begin with. <laughs> Never like, met this guy either, yeah, to this day. Yeah, seriously? So yeah. Even now? And, and like I find, it, I find it interesting, right? Because, you know, that, that borderless opportunity was something that was created through the internet and it didn't really become popular until like you know, 2012, 13, yeah. and that's when it really started to pick up. And so to think that in 2006, you were doing that, that's, like, that's actually really enlightening, you know what I mean? It kind of sort of says that you were ahead of your time. You're like, no, no, I was emailing designs and getting them oh, back. You, now that you, say you know that. what I mean? When you think about it that way, you know, you were way ahead of your time because you didn't rely on, you know, back in those days, it used to be you walk into the local place that does it. And then, you, oh, you're a graphics designer? Awesome, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Can you do this for me? And you would walk into their, their business and you would see them face to face. You know what I mean? There was no work from home. There was no work from anywhere. No, not at all. You know what I mean? So like, you know, rewind what, you know, 15 years. And then you're, you're already doing the whole, you know, work from anywhere kind of a situation. You <laughs> when, know when you look I mean? at it like that, yeah. Yeah. So I, I found that part of the, the story actually quite interesting that, you know, you were ahead of your time. So that definitely, man. Maybe. So yeah. Yeah, look, and I suppose that was it. And that was where then I was still working full-time, mind you. And then it was at the stage where I just said to my wife, well, one day I said, the only thing that's made me happy over the last six to nine months, whatever it was, um, was my little hobby business, Wild FX. And at the time we had a little bit of savings. And she said, you know what, give it a crack for six months. We can afford six months without an income. So mm. I thought, you know what, handed in my resignation to um, the last employment role I had. Mm. And basically smelt the roses that weekend because it was a Friday I handed in my resignation. 
Monday morning came around and I was like, what do I do? <laughs> because I was so busy working 40 to 50 hours in a full-time role. Yeah. Wild FX was only, you know, two, three hours of a night time or a weekend. And I was like, what do I do? And I remember meeting people, meeting them in, ringing people up and prospects and saying, hey, do you need printing? No, I don't. Hey, do you need signage? No, I don't. And it was scary because at the time, if someone knocked me back, it didn't matter because I had a full-time role. And that was really scary. But at the same time, that was the best learning curve I had because it taught me tenacity and it taught me, you know mm. what, you've really just got to get out there and just get your name out there. Mm. And so then all I did is, as I did on my days off, knocking on those 60 doors a day, I then would knock on 100, 150 doors a day. I'd get out at 8 in the morning you know and I'd mean? knock, 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 knock. I admire that, and, honestly. And that's yeah. all I did. Seriously? Yeah. like, the, And I admire it so much because I, 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 cause obviously I'm doing my coaching now as well where I'm coaching startups. And the amount of them like, oh, you know, I don't know how to get business. And, you know, that, and that's a really common theme that, that I'm finding with these individuals. They're like, oh, you know, I've been doing it for three months. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Have you made any money? It's like, no. And I'm like, oh, okay, so what are you doing? And they're like, oh, um, I've been working on a business plan and no. I've been putting a flyer together. And oh, how long have you been putting the flyer? Oh, it's about, about a month. I'm trying to make it perfect. And I'm like... Actually, I'm just going to stop you there. Yeah. Perfect. That's something I've learned. Perfection is the enemy of progress. Oh, 100%. And that was one thing, again, I learned earlier on. Because for the first couple of weeks, I was trying to get everything perfect. Yeah. But then watching the bank balance go down, and every time I'd go to the petrol station, and back then, I don't know what petrol was. It was under a dollar. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was still scary. It was like, oh, my God, that's $40 out of the bank account. I'm mm. filling up petrol. But no, you're 100% right. Everybody, everyone's too scared to get out there and get out of their comfort zone. And everyone's yeah. waiting for everything to be perfect. And the problem is nothing I've learned is ever perfect. Something done half-assed is better than waiting for it to be perfect because it'll never be perfect. It's like a, I don't know, maybe put a word to it, like perfection and paralysis or something. 100%. You know, yeah. or actually, there's, it's analysis paralysis when you think about it uh, because you're overanalyzing, you know, your expectations. And I think you, uh, personally from what I find is that it's not that you're trying to perfect what is going to be put in front of you know a prospective client it actually has a lot more to do with self-doubt yep. so you don't back yourself enough to go yeah i want your business i want to get out there i'm hungry and you know like and that was the same thing you've met her as well mary you know i'm like all right well hey you know what let's jump in the car she's like oh wait what are, where are we going i'm like yeah we're gonna go jump in the car we're gonna go door knocking and she's like door knocking she's like freaking out you know so we we did cold calls on that day um, and then we also did some cold canvassing. And so we went, yep, door to door, knock on doors. How are you going with your hiring needs? Old school. Yeah, man. And, and like even in today's day and age, like there's an abundance of leads online. And, you know, like she was sort of, we're, we're querying. I said, oh, so why do you think, I said to her, I'm like, why do you think I put you through that exercise? And then she's like, oh, um, I don't know, to, to gain sales knowledge. And I said, well, yeah. I said, but there's a grander picture here. I go, now you can go run ads on LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. And all the leads that you're going to get, going to one of those meetings to actually have a conversation about that person's requirements is now going to be less daunting because you did something far more daunting in the first place. Exactly. And so as I said, we, we did it reverse. We didn't go, oh yeah, we're going to slowly work our way up. We went to, uh, you know, let's do the hardest task first. You don't know it's the hardest task. You know, you, you, we're, I'm just saying, hey, let's get up and go. I'm not saying it's the hardest task. 
But now you're like, oh yeah, we're doing the hardest task first. You didn't know you were doing the hardest task first. And now because you've done it, you're more confident with everything else that you're doing. Yeah. And um, so that, that's something that I find interesting is, you know, I love that 100, 150 doors a day. Yes. Like to actually get business, you know, you need, you, know, you say to yourself, I need 10 clients a day to grow and earn X amount of dollars, depending on what you do. You know, go knock on 150 fucking doors a day. You know what I mean? Per day, knock on those doors. And um, that, that's what I really admire about that, that startup story because it's part of my course, part of my coaching when what I'm teaching others is you actually just have to get out there and do it. The only things that, that's important in your business is sales and marketing. Sales first, then marketing. It's not yeah. marketing and then sales. You need to generate revenue. You need to generate income. And the only reason why you can't generate income is probably because you're sitting around twiddling your thumbs, not doing anything about the fact that you're not generating any income. Right, exactly. You know, oh yeah, I need to run Facebook ads. I need to run no. Like I've like I've even <laughs> got like e-commerce people. Like oh yeah, I'm selling a product, and then uh, they're like oh, but I haven't sold any yet, and my Facebook ads aren't working, and yada yada. And yes, Facebook ads, websites, they're sophisticated and complex. But what's to say you can't sell what you do on at a at a fucking market? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Go and order three or four of your products instead of spending all this money on ads, right? Order three or four of your product, go to a market, sell it, validate the fact that these people want this. Work out what actually prompts a purchase from those people. Pay attention to what actually makes them want to buy it. The things that you say, the questions they ask, and then replicate that into your Facebook ads to achieve the same result when you're running Facebook ads for people to buy it online. Do you know what I mean? 100%. Get in totally front right. of the customer and, and, and really do it. Yes, you can do it online without having to do it in person. But, you know, if you're really starting out and you're having a really hard time, this is what I find. Get out there in front of the customer and figure out what they want and what actually makes them buy that product or service for that matter. That's right. You know what I mean? So it, it, that's, a, that's an awesome story. 150 people a day. I love that. That's brilliant. So, but that's, that's important too. Like you said, the story about Mary because... Mm. Again, just touching on the perfection. Uh, if we wait for everything to be perfect, it's never going to be perfect. And the good thing that knocking on all those doors did and then start knocking on more doors did is you learn, like I learned. So basically I call that period my apprenticeship in business. Yeah, right. Where, you know, you might think, far out, he's, he's knocking on 60 doors just mm. to get six quotes, That's just right. to get three jobs. Well, that got me started. And then from there I learned how to have, I suppose, more of a compelling offer or how to convert clients better, mm. you know. And then over the years, we, we learned and we evolved. And, you know, there was no way I was going to be knocking on 60 doors a day. And that's where now my marketing came in and we automated that. But then also the same thing when it came to conversions. Mm. I learned what the customers liked, what the customers didn't like, and I learned what their hot buttons were, so to speak. So my conversion rate then moved up to about 80%. Wow. Okay. So instead of getting 10% inquiries, you know, we increased our inquiries from, sorry, our quote requests from inquiries up to about 60, 70%. Mm. And then we converted our quotes and inquiries up to 80%. That's brilliant. So, you know, towards the end, you know, if I did 10 quotes, I'd get a good portion of that. Whereas in the beginning, it wasn't the case. But I had to do that, I had to get out there and learn. But mate, look, going back to that story, then you know the business. Then I got sick of meeting people in coffee shops and things like that because back in the day, it, I couldn't. I lived in an area in southwest Sydney that was underdeveloped, so there weren't many shopping centres to meet people at, mm. um, and everything was kind of small or run down, or there was nowhere to sit quietly. And then every time you'd meet prospects, you're sitting down 
in a coffee shop, showing them a catalogue, and someone is literally sitting next to, next to you, eavesdropping. And yeah, that, that made me really uncomfortable. So yeah. an opportunity came up where we could rent a small office, 70 square metre office. Nice. I couldn't afford it. My brother and I went in 50-50 because he had just started a, a business as well. He was selling um, CDs and DVDs and bringing out speakers nice. um, from overseas. They're all Catholic speakers and that was something that he wanted. He started up at the same time as I did. And so we went 50-50 in the office. He had half, I had half. And when I started in the office, I was dressed in trousers, a long sleeve business shirt tucked in. The only thing missing was a tie. And customers would walk in and we were a print shop basically from the outside, but they'd walk in and they'd look in and they're like, where's the print equipment? (laughs) Where's all the print equipment? And here you are dressed up in business attire. And then it took me a few months to realize, hey, this is not working. So I slowly started to buy small bits of print equipment. So I would, you know, give myself, I suppose, the the credit or the reputation that, hey, we're coming in and this guy looks like he's the real deal. I, I like this and it's uh, it's definitely something I it's, it's something that I always look at is looking the part. 100%. You know what I mean? And I've had this conversation with, you know, someone as well, more on a career level as opposed to an entrepreneurship level. And, and I sat there and I said, well, I said, you need to give people what they want. It's like, you can't sit there and go, oh, well, this is me and deal with it. And, you know, you should accept me for who I am, especially like in today's day and age um, where it's like, you know, it's supposed to be socially acceptable for you to just be you. And then I kind of sat there and I'm like, yeah, but people, what people want from you, right? You have to paint the picture that you are the person for them, whether that's entirely accurate or not. So I like it because in your sense, you're like you were getting the bits and pieces of printing equipment to give the look and appeal that that's what you do, right? To give confidence in that customer to actually do business with you. But you were still outsourcing, I'd imagine, in that Oh, time. 100%. We yeah. were. And it was funny. There was one piece of machinery. Um, it was an old saddle stitcher. Yeah. Not everyone would know what yeah, that is. Yeah. But it looked like an old printer. People didn't know that it wasn't a printer. It just looked like an old-fashioned printer. And... Yeah. Someone was throwing it out and I got it from him and I put it in the front of our office just again to give us credibility. So people would look at it and they would say, okay, there's an old printer. It looks really old. So when they'd come in and they'd comment on it, I'd say, oh, look, it's broken down. I've got someone who's helping me get all the print sorted um, while we're waiting for that to get repaired. Um, Because I didn't want the customers to know I was a broker. Because when they found out I was a broker in the beginning when we first got the office, our conversions dropped. Mm. Once I started getting paper, literally getting paper from my supplies and just leaving it on the floor and getting overprints that they had to make it look like we were printing, um, our credibility had increased. So customers then thought, oh, okay, they're really doing it. And so it got me thinking, you know what, I've got to start doing it. I can't just be pulling the wool over my client's eyes. I really got to start doing this. And then slowly over time, I started then buying equipment. Um, we bought a, a digital printer, we bought a small wide format printer and, you know, we, we struggled. This was three years into being full time or probably a year and a half in where we were really struggling and our bank account had dropped to $90 and was freaking out um, and we were just scraping through, scraping through, scraping through and there was a signage was our, the biggest growing area at the time mm. and there was a sign writer who was doing all my printing and at the time I was spending, you know, between five and $10,000 a month with him. Mm. to print and then 
supplier who actually sells the printing equipment came in and said, oh, who's doing all your printing? And I told him and he goes, why don't you buy your own printer? I said, oh, how do I run that big thing? It's a wide format printer and we put in rolls 1.3 metres wide and I thought, I can't do it. And he goes, yeah. oh, it's not too hard. We'll show you how to do it. Mm. Anyway, I looked at it. I couldn't justify the money. He had one that was only 500 mil wide. It was um, $12,000 for that machine. Oh, and man. I couldn't even get a loan for it. Wow. Literally could not get a loan for it. My wife then turned around and said, you know, should we put it in her name? So I did it. But automatically from the first week, the credibility that gave us skyrocketed because now customers are coming in and they're smelling the ink. Mm. So then I thought, you know what, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? They went and revisited that 1.3 wide printer. I couldn't refinance after three months um, for that printer because the bank had turned around and said, well, you've just taken out this loan in my wife's name. The new printer was a lot more than 13 grand. And then by the time you got the, the media and the inks, etc., it mm. was um, closer to 30 grand. Wow. So I was like, what the hell am I going to do? You know, it was, it was, I said to my wife, I go, do you know what? I've either got to go all in on that printer mm. or Wild FX is dead. Um, and she's like, where are you going to get the money? And I was like, my brother-in-law, very, very good guy. Um, a lot of respect for my brother-in-law. He saved us um, over the years a couple of times. He helped us get into the housing market. And then he also um, loaned me the money for this. So now I was indebted to him the $30,000. Mm. And, mate, that was probably the most stressful period in my business life, knowing I owed family member that much money and I was working seven days a week every single day I'd say I'm not exaggerating here with the exception of Sunday mornings um, and after dinner most nights I was working every day mm. and because I was not just the broker anymore I was going out getting the orders but I've now got this printer I've got to come back and I've got to run this thing mm. so from there you know, the business grew, we did quite well, and I, I paid him back in a year. What I want to know, like what, what, at that time, what gave you the overall insight to say, if I don't get this one, was it 1.2, 1 1.3? 1 1.3 wide. Yeah. 1.3 so, meters wide. Uh, uh, what gave you this, this concept, this idea that if you don't get this 1.3 meter printer, that wild effects was going to be dead? So you went to, your, you told me, you went to your wife, and you're like, if I don't get this bigger printer, the business is dead in the water. We weren't making enough money. It's it's a big third, like it's it's a big it's a big printer, right? It's thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. And then you you went to the effort of having your brother in law give you the money to actually you know invest that thirty thousand dollars. And I think you know I've been through this like time and time again, right? In in everything that I do, I did the similar thing you know earlier last year as well. This time last year, uh, where I was like putting literally you know every dollar I had on the line and even other people's money to to make it happen. And uh, it worked out well, but like for me, I had confidence knowing that this was trending. Uh, this was something where sales were increasing in larger volumes. And I went, yeah, I need to buy more so that way I can service um, and, and actually capture that market. So I, I had a good level of confidence knowing that if I'm taking money from someone else, I can give it back to them very soon or over a period of time to be able to make that happen. So what was it for you? Because there'll be other people that are listening, right? And they're going to be sitting there going, yeah, I've been in a situation like where I feel like if I didn't do this, you know, that and if I didn't spend this money, that I wouldn't be able to grow, right? 
there's other people that are listening that are going to say, yeah, I said that I needed this, but then I realized I didn't actually need it at all. And now I've wasted all this money. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's the imbalance. It's like, you know, oh shit, well, it's either I'm going to make the biggest mistake of my life or it's going to be the best <laughs> decision of my life. So what, what, what gave you that, that confidence that said, this is going to be the best decision I'm going to make. And if I get this printer, we're going to make tons of money and we're going to really grow the business. What, what gave you that, that instinct? Man, it wasn't a thought of this is the best decision. It was more the last chance. It was I really wanted to run and own my own business and mm. it was just the last chance. It was I've got to do this. Mm. Um, worst case scenario was not good. It would mean we'd have to sell the house and then we wouldn't have a house. Um, so for me, that was a big motivator. That, that mm. couldn't happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I saw the momentum the business was getting because I was about a year, year and a half in when we, when we got the printer. And I saw that, you know what, customers would come in and they'd buy a poster and then next month they'd buy another poster. Mm. Next, the following month they'd buy another poster. So for me, I saw the business growing in the sense of I was always trying to get new clients, always trying to get new clients. But one thing that I didn't factor in, which, which worked to my benefit, was I had existing clients who would continually reorder. So now these customers, this was back in the day before they got the digital screens in the clubs, we we do all their events like you know ham raffles trivia nights etc. So yeah, yeah. we do a stack of those. So then we we got into a few clubs and shopping centres, and then and that's where I saw you know what I didn't I didn't account for I suppose the the repeat orders in the beginning which was very good. I mean in hindsight now now when I look at any business opportunity that's something I factor in, but at the time business was slowly I would say getting easier and I thought you know what I'm outsourcing more bigger jobs, and that's why I wanted this printer. And But at the same time, that was going to double, more than double my margins because now I'm paying somebody who's putting a markup on the print, mm. whereas now I'm going to own the printer. Yeah. So um, my gut was just telling me, you know what, do it. You've got to increase your GP, your gross profit, and you've got to give better service because I'm not now waiting three to four days for someone else to do it. I'm staying back every single night. I'm doing the work. Yeah, go ahead. Um, Mate, and look, and that was honestly the turning point for my business where I invested in the business. And one thing I'd say now, if I was to go back and start all over again, what would I do? I would invest in equipment and I would get the equipment rather than trying to just save up for things. It's an interesting one, especially like in today's day and age. Like, you know, there's now printers, for example, that can give you what you need in less than 24 hours. So obviously for you, it was waiting time, things like that. And now, like, obviously that industry has evolved and people are faster and people have worked out systems and processes to achieve faster results, good quality, you know, that kind of thing and a decent price. Um, what I'm interested in specifically is you said if you could reverse time and go back, you would have invested earlier into your own printers. But if you were to start that same business today, would you still go and invest in the equipment or would you sort of realize, well, hey, you know what, there's actually a shit ton of people out there that are already doing this and I'll just continue being a broker because I don't have to take any of the risk. Because obviously what you're saying is I want to take on the risk and then it's more, it depends on your risk appetite, how risk adverse it is Yeah. versus, you know, being, going out there and being a broker. If you were starting a business in 2023, what would you do? Would you be that print broker, uh, like how you started off with, and just focus on scaling the business that way? And I think we're, we're in different times. Print is a different industry now to yeah. what it was, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Um, at the time, I would have borrowed the money if I could go back. But right now, yeah, like I wouldn't 
I wouldn't buy print equipment at the moment. Mm. Um, only because there's enough people here. There's a lot of people that can do it a lot cheaper. They've mm. got all the equipment. There's so many different finishes that people request these days. So I wouldn't do it these right now. But if I'm going to buy into a business or if I'm going to set up a business and I didn't have the funds for something, rather than wait till I saved up money, mm. if I felt that, you know what, well, I need this piece of equipment, like, you know, you do videos, etc., you might say, I don't have enough money to buy that camera or those mics, etc. I'm going to wait until I get there. I actually mm. think, you know what, borrow the money, take a loan out, ask some family members for some money because the minute you've got the equipment, it gives you that credibility from day one. And that's the issue that I had when I was a broker back then. I didn't have that credibility. Yeah. So depending on the industry now, you know, it's a very great answer, I know. It's, it's an interesting one because like part of my course that I'm running is showing people ways to present themselves to look like a highly established company that have done yeah. a lot of work in the past. You know, that there's simple things that come down to their logo, their website presentation, things like that. Um, you know, having a business phone number instead of a mobile, that kind of a thing. And um, so do you, like, <clears throat> do you think that it's easier to present yourself, especially now, like everything's mobile, everything's work from home. Is it's a lot it easier, easier these days. To, to be a broker than, than back then? Yeah, it is, because you can outsource everything. Everything's outsourceable. <clears throat> the, the only reason I'm saying I'd invest is it depends on the business. If you've got a physical business, so if you mm. were going to buy into a restaurant, for example, mm. and you think, you know what, when the sales increase, when the revenue increases, when the profits improve, I'll buy a nicer menu board. You know, that's that sort of thing. So You're if you've, if you've got to do that earlier rather because people will come in, the perception, you know, first impressions count. If someone walks in and you've got a tacky looking menu board and you've got pieces of paper stuck to it, you know what, get someone to profession print it. If you've got six different tables in your restaurant all off Gumtree because they were freebies, that's going to affect you. Borrow the money. It, again, it just depends. And I know you've got a lot of different listeners. Um, if they're startups and they're working from home, completely different story I was talking more from myself because I had a physical premises that customers mm. would come into and I was selling a product that had to be produced bespoke for every single customer so I was relying on the services of someone else yeah. and it's not like now where you can order a, a media wall from overseas and comes to Australia within four days yeah back then I'd order a media wall from Australia and it would take two weeks yeah you know yeah, so yeah, yeah. it was better for me to buy the equipment and do it that night. At that time, yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, so look, times have it, changed. It is, it is relatable though, you know. Like I know, I know video agencies that are out there that go out and they just, they, get, they hire subcontractors, the subcontractors bring the cameras, but then they have the iPads, the storyboards, the, the business process, and they just yeah. get subcontractors to do the parts that they don't. And so, but then when the subcontractors get there, they all know, oh yeah, well, I'm here under this banner. I'm not here, you know, under yeah. their banner. You know what I mean? Sorry, under my own banner. And um, so that all happens. But it, and it's, it's interesting because I did this with my camera setup, right? Um, I could have bought it just outright, but I said, you know what, I'd rather save the cash and use the cash for things like Facebook ads and et cetera and so on. Yep. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to go, I'm going to buy this camera setup, you know, spend $10,000. Um, and so I was like, yeah, okay, sweet. I'm going to do it and I'm going to get a loan from the bank to do it. And you know what, like, is it, like, cause I was just kind of like, yeah, if I spend the money, then great. But you know, I'd rather hold on to the cash and use someone else's money. Yeah. This was always going through my head. And, but I thought, you know, what, if I do spend this money and I give this overall look and appeal, 
I rock up on site. I don't just have this, you know, DSLR camera and everyone's like, oh, okay, cool. Is that what you're filming on? Yeah, that's it. You know, so I went, okay, I'm going to get the full cage. I'm going to get a full cinema camera. I'm going to get a stabilizer. I'm going to get all this equipment, like the yeah. one that you're looking at. Our listeners won't be able to look at, but, you know, you can see around the room as well. Just that light up there is, is like four and a half grand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, mate, it doesn't look cheap. No, it's, it's... You've got that winch to lift it up. You know what? The winch <laughs> the winch to hold it up and lift it up is two and a half thousand on its own. Wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like half the price of the damn light, you know? Um, so, but the thing was, is that I came to some of those clients with the setup, with the, the right equipment. And then when they started like, oh yeah, now I understand what I'm paying $5,000 for. Made a hundred percent. You know what I mean? But if I rocked up, oh yeah, I'll charge you five grand. And then like, you know, I just rocked up with this camera and I was holding it by hand, My put iPhone. it on a tripod. Yeah, you know what I mean? I would charge $5,000, filmed it on an iPhone. Now I like that, That's, we'll, use, we'll use the iPhone, right? I uh, just, I'm gonna use my, hold my iPhone and I'm gonna use this microphone that plugs into your phone that records it for me. And then you can airdrop me the file or email me the file afterwards. Um, and you'll get a two minute video once you're done. And it'll still look good and it'll still look like the same sort of outcome that you would get with, you know, a, a proper setup and proper cameras or, or close to, close to at least, yeah. you know what I mean? But still charge them five grand, they'd sit there and go, the fuck did I just pay for? Yeah. <laughs> you know Actually, what I mean? So out of curiosity, right now in hindsight for you, so mm. you saved that 10 odd grand, and you thought I'm going to spend that money on Facebook ads, but then ultimately you did get the equipment when you got the equipment, did you find that it actually improved your sales or improved oh, your credibility? Absolutely. Because I, I rocked up, I was on site, and then you have some other business owner walking by or yeah. whatever, and then, oh, do you have a business card? Do you know what I mean? See, so that would, that you looked apart, and that, that's exactly that's right. what I meant. So it gives you the credibility. Having the right equipment gives you that credibility. And it, again, it depends. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're someone selling, I don't know, say wedding invitations, you don't need all this equipment. That's right. People walking past aren't going to see that. But you are going to need a nice storyboard. You're going to need a nice presentation folder, whether it be a stand or, or something. That's right. Um, and, and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong. We're, we all try and pinch our pennies in the beginning when mm. you know what? If you were to go around and pick two accountants, you got to go to the accountant that's sitting in a nice office or you got to go to that accountant that is sitting in the middle of a shopping centre that's got one table, a chair and a desktop printer. You know, Who do you think is going to give you the I, better I, service? I agree with you 100%. I remember even the ones that do have an office, I remember walking into one. He was out like, oh, geez, where was he? Um, five, five Doc? Yeah, it was Five Doc. He was out Five Doc. And I walked into his office. I was there to sell him something. You know what I mean? But then when I got there, because he only accepted the meeting because, you know, in his head, I think he was probably hoping to get my business, right? Yeah. And, and there's people out there that do that. And I uh, just we won't go down that path because it doesn't end well. <laughs> But I walked in there and he's like, oh, yeah, come into my office and yada, yada. And I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. And then, you know, I'm talking to him. Oh, yeah, marketing services, this, that, the other, yada, yada. And then he's turned around to me. He goes, oh, I'm like, you know, and how, how can I help you? I mean, do you, are you in need of any, you know, accounting needs, et cetera, and so on? And uh, I kind of just took one little glance over his table. And I can tell you right now, his table looked like a hurricane had just been through it. <laughs> like there was paper everywhere and i just looked around and went like honestly you look like the kind of person that's going to give me a tax bill that's more than what i even have to pay do you know what i mean like like this is like you know my bass if i if i didn't account for any 
uh, you know, expenses at all, you know what I mean, to offset my bass. If my bass bill was $100,000, my bass bill with you would be 150000 <laughs> just because you don't know how to keep, you know, keep your shit together. He's going to be know, lodged late yeah, because he lost it. He's going to get some other businesses' income and start adding that to mine for some <laughs> stupid reason. But that was the perception. Yeah. I sat there and I'm like, man, you look so disorganized. Why would I ever give you my business? Um, and then, you know, versus you know, go to my accountant now, who's top tier, love him to bits. I've been with him, you know, since like I went to high school with him, actually. How clean is his desk? Oh, mate, spotless, <laughs> cleaner than my house, you know. And <laughs> You know, actually, that's a bad analogy because I have kids, you know. So <laughs> my he, house he doesn't have clean. his kids running around the no, office? No, no, he doesn't. But I can tell you that if you walked into a display home, his, his, his office is cleaner. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it is like, you know, you'll still see paper and things like that on it, but you know, he's organized, you know, things have got file structures. You know that this person you, you can rely on to deliver on what your expectations are from your accounting needs. And yeah, that's a hundred, that's, it's a great concept, a great example that you gave because that is, and that's part of my thinking process as well. Personally, I think of that as well and go, well, yeah, I probably wouldn't, you know, go for someone that doesn't look the part. Yeah. You know, but it is like, you know, you can either have the equipment or even if you just do invitations, you don't print them, but you offer the printing service. But being able to go and say, hey, yeah, well, look, here's my catalog. Here's Quality this invitation. Samples. You can touch this. You can touch that. Um, I did that with Yulo. We had the memory book and I'm like, man, yeah. I, I can show this memory book as a mock-up online. But when I'm walking into these places, they want to see the memory book. They want to touch it. They want to feel it. I paid it like a couple hundred bucks for a one-off sample to get made. And then provided all the example images and things like that, created a whole story behind it. And then took that book with me. Um, and I'm like, yeah, hey, this is the book. And it looks awesome. It's fantastic. And, and it converted, I bet. It, it, it did convert, yeah. It paid for itself. Absolutely. Who knows how many times I've... But the amount of people that were like, you know, oh, yeah, but we can't see it, you know. Oh, so when do we get to see it? Oh, after it's printed. And then it's like, oh, okay. But, you know, like, we want to see it now. You know, in order to buy something I can't see. You know what I mean? And then people are like, oh, you know, I, I hear all these people complain. Oh, yeah, but they shouldn't care and it shouldn't matter. And I'm like, yeah, but clearly it matters. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, absolutely. Man, look, I, I just want to go back to what we were talking about, how I put the fake equipment in to give me credibility and yeah. you were waiting, you didn't spend the money on your equipment until, you know, you wanted to spend the money first on, on ads. Yeah. Depending on the business, if mm. you do need some physical equipment, either to help you produce your product that's going to give you a better gross profit margin or something where your clients will see will give you a better, um, I suppose, or give you more credibility. You know, I think it's important rather than saving the money, I think you've got to invest the money straight away because you've got to get that return on investment sooner mm. rather than later because if we turn around and said, you know what, you're $10,000 worth of equipment, you know, you owning it might generate you twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 worth yeah. of sales. Whereas if you turn around and say, you know what, I'm just going to go in with my little iPhone in the beginning. Yeah. You know, you can't sell that service for five grand, for example. You can only sell that service maybe for $1,500. Again, I don't know the industry, but everyone's got to play it by year and decide, you know what, if they're saving and they think next year I want to buy this equipment, I think borrow the money and buy it now mm. because then you, you accelerate the growth of your business. I, I agree with that. Like the idea of, you know, everyone's like, oh, you know, you shouldn't fake it till you make it. And I go, you know what, like, if you physically cannot demonstrate rapport, like you have the capacity, but it all comes down to perception of your rapport, your trustworthiness. You know yourself, I'm not going to let this person down. Uh, you know, I'm not here to scam them. Um, you know, I'm here to genuinely provide an amazing service to them. Then, yeah, I reckon fake it till you make it. 
you know, fake it until such time that you can go and buy that equipment or you're in, you might be, you know, someone now starting a video business or something like that, hypothetically, and you can't afford the cameras, but you can afford to go out there and sell and use your iPhone. You can't get a loan because you have no income. You can't demonstrate anything to the bank, yada, yada. Yeah. Um, you know, use your iPhone, sell it for 500 bucks, a thousand bucks instead of 5,000 for that full production. Let them know. And this is the thing, right? Like, you know, start off that way. And then, but if you can go and then sort of start taking steps towards after such time, then you can start raising your price because if you take, start taking steps towards it, maybe you rocked up on site and you're still using your iPhone, but you had a video cage for your iPhone and yeah. you had some microphones and it's different. And then, oh, you know, why do you use your iPhone? Well, you know what? I actually like the quality that my iPhone produces, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's just a you know, moment in time that I'm enjoying using the iPhone, really, really quick and easy to transfer files and edit and et cetera and so on. Tell them the benefits that you're experiencing from using the iPhone. Don't yeah. tell them it's, oh, yeah, it's just for now because then they're going to be like, oh, okay, so why can't we get the better service then? That's exactly right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tell them that it, this is a good thing and take step towards improving that until such time that you can afford those things, you know? And there is, seriously, you, go, you jump on Amazon right now, say, for example, starting a video business, you can literally buy like the camera that you can see in the corner over there. It's got this whole cage around the camera, right? Yeah. You can buy that for an iPhone. <laughs> I'm serious. You can buy that for an iPhone. And it's a very sophisticated cage. It's, you know what I mean? It's got all these little dongles on it, things like that. Transmitters, you name it. Uh, but you can buy that for an iPhone. Wow. Um, and and it's, it's cheap. You can get like an iPhone cage for like 30 bucks. You can even attach all these lenses. You can get like these lenses that zoom in and provide different kind of effects. And it just gives like that you the well. theatrics of looking expensive. Yeah, that's right. And, and then you're kind of like, no, no, I'm, I'm kicking this. I love this and own <laughs> it and love it though. And I think that really works. So like the story that you've told, you started off, you know, by sort of painting the picture that that's who you are and then grew into such time that you could actually own your own. Yeah. It's a really good method. So you make do with what you've got start buying things that you know if you start realizing that you're not getting as many clients because there's a reputation issue start investing in things that will give you the reputation and then sort of at the end of that sort of look at okay well how can i own those things so that way i can start charging more money yeah uh, but even then maybe it's even how can i find people that do this freelancing and like like that other video agency that i know of for example that hire all these video freelancers and they just do the work under their banner. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, cause then you get up on site and then it's like, you know, they've got all the fancy equipment and things like that. And then people do feel like they're getting their money's worth, but it's not yours. It's a freelancer. Sure. You're paying a premium fee, but then, you know, you're also paying that premium. You're, you're, you're charging them that premium fee. Mate, that but that, that's the world we live in now, isn't it? The outsourced world. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people don't employ now because they just use subbies contractors or, yeah. or whoever online. Um, and that's something now that I noticed as well had changed in the business now, you know, all these years later. Mm. And one of the reasons why I sold the business is because I could see a change in the industry and I wanted to try in different avenues. But oh, mate, yeah. look, that was, um, yeah, getting that printer really changed my business at the time. And from there, I just started looking at a lot of other opportunities because we then had the printer. I employed a couple of um, people to work with me, a graphic designer and a production person. Mm. And, you know, back in the day before everyone was freelancing to online designers, I had three full-time graphic, three graphic designers, sorry, one was full-time and two part-timers. 
Um, but then over the years, things changed and customers started bringing in their own artwork. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it was easier to go on online and get someone overseas to do graphic design for half the price. I get you know, it. And the same thing with printing. Then you got all these people online, print companies started coming out. Yeah. So then, oh, like you know, Vista Print and mate, yeah, I think what, what was They never say one? the like V word, man. Moo.com. <laughs> I think that's something, there was like something like that, Moo.com. And they could like business cards or something like that. Yeah, but they did um, all super cheap. Everything was almost printed on almost like toilet paper. Yeah, yeah, because you know, like Vista Print, for example, they did the you know the free get like fifty free business cards. Oh, was it fifty That's or right. ten? Yeah, it was something like that. It was like it was like ten, ten or ten or fifty free business cards, right? And um, it was it was super interesting because when I was looking at that, I was like, well, this is a really great marketing uh, tactic. You know what I mean? So now people are going to traditional printers. And with those traditional printers, there, you know, you walk in, you pay the money, you can physically see it. So all these online companies, they had this challenge of, okay, well, we want it to be risk-free. Why don't you get 10 free business cards? We'll send them to you in the mail. And if you like them, you can order some more. And then they always had, I remember like the first time I got it, because I used it a lot back then. I was like, yeah, I need business cards. I'm like, <laughs> fuck it. I don't have any money. I'm going to go and just get 10 free ones from Vistaprint. And it, every, I used to use a different email address every time, just so we could keep getting these free business <laughs> yeah, cards. Yeah, freebies, right? yeah. Yeah, it was hilarious, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I realized eventually over time that them providing these really crap, cheap business cards was actually making them lose money because they ended up getting the bottom end of the market that didn't have the budget. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, well, I've got these 10 free ones. I'll, I'll, I'll spend 20, 30 bucks getting a hundred of this quality kind of cards because yeah. they don't have the money for better ones. Uh, and then what they started doing was when people were getting the 10 free, they used to, it was so cool. Like maybe at about a year, two years in, they started throwing in one card in the pile of 10, which I found interesting because I'm like, why would you go to all that effort to, for one card? Like you would have had to have had many orders to be able to pull that off and not have it so expensive. It was a better quality? It was a better quality. Yeah. 300 GSM. Actually, no, this one was three. It was like a 350 yeah. GSM with a, a like a, a matte finish both sides. Well, they, no, no. Matte cellar glaze. They did matte cellar glaze on one and they did gloss cellar glaze on the other. Okay. So you could actually see it, but it was a physical card you got to hand to a customer. And I think they knew that there was this thing with business cards where if you handed your business card to someone, they would look at it and go, oh, where'd you get your business cards done? Because this looks nice. Yeah. So I think they've gone through that and they've kind of gone through that customer journey and then realized, oh yeah, well, maybe we should include one, one better one that they get to hand out to maybe an important client because that important client's going to want to know who their supplier is. Mate, that's right. You know it's, funny, I mean? it's funny you say that because Vistaprint did have that reputation for being the real cheap printer mm. and everyone went online and if you had a Vistaprint card, after a few years, anyone that handed out their business card from a Vistaprint card, uh, from Vistaprint, it was always thinner. Mm. And I remember there was one night I went to a networking event. It was a chamber of commerce somewhere down in Campbelltown. And I met two painters. Both of them gave me, because you print off templates, both of them gave me the exact same templated <laughs> business card <laughs> on that cheap stock. Anything that was different with their name, number and email. That's, that's it. Brilliant. That was the only thing. But you know what? To Vista Prince credit now, yeah. now they've still got those cheap ones. But at the time when you think about it, back in the day, that was their loss leader. Mm. You know what? Were they losing money on it? Maybe, but what was the cost? They were getting how many different emails? Probably five fake ones from you. <laughs> they were getting all these emails. <laughs> That's right. They were getting all these emails that they built their database on and then they market very well. Like 
there, I don't have any emails coming from Vistaprint now, but I know at the time I also bought a couple of things. I was always just getting emails from them and then they'd have new products. So what would you do? Now they've got banners, they've got posters, etc., etc. So they were now marketing and they were upselling, cross-selling. And so that lost leader in the beginning was very smart. By them. And now if you order from Vistaprint, mate, you can buy jumpers, t-shirts, you books, photo books, everything online. And even with my own stuff, we had a print business. Yeah. And it was cheaper for my staff member for his own little side hustle business um, to go order on Vistaprint and get it in three days than it was to do it in our own factory. Yeah, well. And this is only about a year and a half ago. Because they refined the process. And that's with their profit. That's right. That's with their profit margin too. Yeah. That was with their GP. And so... Like I find that so interesting, and I think you know, in the printing business right now, those the ones that are actually going to win are the ones that are just looking at large volume. Larger volume reduces their cost with their suppliers. You know what I mean? Improved efficiencies. Yeah, improve efficiencies, improve processes, and then therefore they're just really growing their bottom line, and they can still have the same amount of staff, but those staff are more focused on doing things that are bringing more business in. You know what I mean? That, yeah. are, that are creating or being more productive, I should say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's what I look at. It's just being more productive, bringing more business so you can provide that capacity. And then you kind of, you get to a certain stage and this is where you are, I think, at, at this point in time in your coaching business as well. We'll get into that in a minute. But I think that's where once you've started, you've got everything up and running, you're making money, that optimization of your business is so crucial because then you kind of, when you actually know the numbers, then you can literally say, and we'll use the printing company as an example, you can say, I have capacity to fit 30, 30 to 40. Now that I've optimized the business, I've got the capacity to bring 30 to 40% more customers. 30 to 40%, or that could be 50 more customers into the business. And then you realize, okay, well now I can, get 100, I can fit 100 more customers because I've just bought another machine and I've hired two more staff. To pay for them, I need this, but I can take on more customers with this capacity, you know what I mean? And it just, the numbers really do help. They actually no, help a lot. Mate, it does, more than people think. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. But let's let's go into your coaching. You're doing coaching now. Tell, I mean, you, we've, we've had the backstory, where you started, uh, you know, how it all happened, where you are now. So what between, actually, I mean, what's, what's happened? Just, I just yeah. want to go back to when, the, when I paid my brother-in-law back, We'll get to the coaching, but I, I think this is very important because mm. I started when technology wasn't around, automation wasn't a thing, software wasn't a thing in businesses, everything was mechanical. Mm. What really helped my business explode was automation and having systems in place where Zapier was the, the saviour of the business. I'm not going to say the saviour of the business, but that was what elevated us because then so many processes were automated in the business where clients would set them up in, in zero and then a Zap would put them into MailChimp and then MailChimp would send them out, you know, welcome a day or two later. Hey, like our Facebook page. Hey, let's connect on LinkedIn. You know, a week later, it would send another email out and then they'd be on our monthly system, mm. uh, monthly e-letters. On their birthdays, they'd get messages. So there were all these touch points that we could connect with clients, automatically send out surveys and then surveys, people would respond and then we'd get feedback from the surveys and it was like what they liked, what they didn't like. So implementing things any sort of crm that we i could get my hands on i looked at there was a period probably for about a year and a half maybe two years i was just looking at how i could automate the hell out of my business mm. and that's what we did and then everything just happened like clockwork 
and I, I knew what was going to happen on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday morning. And it got to the point where, you know, 10 years later, I don't know what systems I've got in place because they're just in place and it's just automatically happening. And it wasn't until one day someone asked me a question and said, oh, what do you do with this? And I was like, that's right. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure we send out a survey. And then I went back in. Oh, yeah. Once we hit thank you, we'd send a thank you email for payment, it would trigger a separate email for a survey. Mm. Yeah, and then depending on their response, there were two standard responses to say, thanks for that feedback, that was great. And if it was, you know, if it was below five, it would be like, sorry to hear we didn't do blah, blah, blah. So, but look, going back to what helped me explode the business was automation and software. And and I think that's the the time we live in now. There's a lot out there and a lot of people are trying to save that money and they they wanna just use everything that's on a free trial, which is good, you know, I suppose it gives you a chance to try things, but there's so many different CRMs out there now. They're probably not using it to its capacity either. No, they're not. Like automations, campaigns, Drip, drip campaigns, things like that. People just aren't utilizing to their full capacity because they will put one step in place, but not realize, you know what? There's so many different avenues that you can market to your database. Mm. And, and that's the other thing I learned. It's so much easier to sell to an existing client than trying to find a new lead or a new prospect or a new customer that you've got to educate on how good you are. So once someone knows you, they know your reputation, they'll buy from you again. It's a lot easier. I could sell hundred times more to 10 customers than I could to a, say a hundred new customers, yeah, you know, gotcha. because they, I haven't got that reputation with them. Gotcha. So tell me about where we're at, where we're at now. So from, you've had wild effects, have you still got it? You don't have it. Tell me this, what's, what's happened between sort of then and now what's, what's happening? Mate, I've divested a lot in other businesses. I've, I've bought other businesses, I've bought other print businesses, signage businesses, acquired them, merged them into wild effects. Um, I've bought into other things, into apparel businesses, restaurants. Um, I've sold Wild Effects now. I'm still in, involved in a couple of other businesses. Um, and I'm actually about to start a business coaching service. Um, and that was just something that's sort of fallen in my lap where I've had a number of contacts over the years have said to me, hey, we want to do what you've done. We've seen you grow your business either from where you were back when you were a home-based business or from where you were when you were in the factory. Um, and you've grown your business. So what we want to do is we want to acquire other businesses. We want to grow our business or we want to exit our business. So Mm. can you help us? So I've actually taken, it's been what, nine months now. I've taken nine months off. We've traveled, put a bit of weight on (laughs) because (laughs) I'm not working. I'm I'm living the semi-retired life. But um, I think I've sort of found my next, the next step in my working life where People are asking me for advice now and I'm looking at how to monetize that and I've got a few clients already on board and um, we're about to kick off. I won't say too much at the moment, but you know, that's what I'm focusing on now, how I can help others improve their businesses mm. and grow. So I'm at the stage now where the people that are approaching me, they've been in business two to four years, if not longer. Um, they've got a number of staff, they're turning over a few hundred thousand dollars a year, but they're just sort of stuck working yeah. in their business and they just don't know how to automate processes, how to put systems in place, how to maximize margins, how to in- get more leads in the door, how to convert the leads. And they were things that I've learned. And, and yeah, I'd like to say I, I did a pretty good job in my own, in my business and all the other businesses. And I, I like to give back and I suppose make a positive impact if I can. And if I can make a positive impact in their business, you know, 
who, know, who knows what the I look future will like hold. A lot of people that, oh, you know, coaches are there just to recycle advice, you know what I mean, that you can get from other places, et cetera, and so on. That, that's some of the things that I've been told um, on my coaching journey as well in, in coaching startups. And I kind of sit there and I'm like, well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, someone's bringing their experience to the table that you clearly don't know how to solve. And you could go online and research it yourself and try all these different things, but this person is there to, to give you the answers. And I find it interesting because realistically speaking, when considering a lot of what people say about that and like, oh, you know, recycling advice, et cetera, and so on. The thing is though, is that if I, this is what I find justifiable, you should be giving value for free. I'm, I'm a big believer you give people value yeah. for the sake of giving them value. But if you have a problem and your problem is costing you $20,000, right? Whether it be one-off or an ongoing basis, wouldn't it be fair to pay someone as a coach on an ongoing basis 10% of that $20,000 problem, say $2,000, right? To fix that problem for you so you can either make or save $18,000. Wouldn't it be fair to give someone 10% of that? That's what I look at at the end of the day. I always look at the kind of situation that, that someone's in and go, I mean, if they have all these objections, and then I always work out, so how much does this problem cost you? And I always go, okay, so you know, your profit margin, this is what you would be doing too. Your profit margin is currently you know, $100,000 a year on overall, that's what you walk away with, gross profit after everyone's yeah. wages, blah, blah, blah. But I can see that there's room for improvement one, two, three, and four, and you could be making an extra $50,000 don't you think it's fair that you pay me $10,000 so you can put an extra 40000 in your pocket? So over five months, six months of coaching, you'd end up paying me that $10,000 and in return, you're going to walk away with $40,000. Now, you don't yeah. know the answers because if you knew the answers, you'd be making this $50,000 five years ago. Actually, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's funny. I, I'm not going to push back on what you said there. A lot of business owners know the answers. Uh, they know what they've got to do. They know what they need to do. Mm. It's just like us. We know drinking and soft drink, eating chocolate's not good for us. Yeah. Okay. But if you've got a personal trainer or a dietitian or your partner holding you accountable, it's a different story. So yeah. when it comes to business coach, I didn't want to call it business coaching because I thought it had a stigma to it's it. It's a bit of a taboo. But I just yeah. couldn't think of anything else. I could not think of another name. But I, th I look at it and I think, you know what? Most business owners now need someone to hold them accountable. They need a sounding board and they need another set of eyes on the business. There's, there's a lot going on in life, right? Yeah. You got kids, you got family and you get home and there's all this chaos. And then, yeah. you know, and I feel like, you know, especially now, 2023, we've grown into this age where, you know, having a coach or having someone else there to guide you, you know the answers, you know the right way, but sometimes just having, having that, that reassurance that sounding of someone board. holding your hand. It's you know that sounding I mean? board. Yeah. I Actually, I, I had two coaches I, for the last the last two years in the business. I didn't, but there was a seven-year period. I had two coaches in my business, and, and it benefited me because mm. it kept me on track. Why did you hire focused. a coach? I want to know. Why did you hire a coach? In the beginning, because I just didn't know how to get extra leads, how to, learn, how to get more leads, or how to market myself. And I had ideas, but I just didn't know how to implement them. So I wanted to talk to someone else about, you know what, how do I do an e-letter for example mm -hmm. and then they would give me a little bit of information and then i'd go and i'd research and i'd find what worked for me um another coach i had was more for strategy it's like okay 
One was marketing, one was strategy. And when I say strategy, it was systemizing the business, the processes in the business mm. till I can grow production. And then how I acquired other businesses. So he'd go through the numbers with me and say, right. okay, well, if you were to go buy that business, this is what it would do for turnover. This is what it would do in production. You're going to need to hire an extra staff member, et cetera, et cetera. If you buy that business, it's got a staff member that'll come with it. Um, and that worked. Yeah. And that, that's something that an accountant doesn't do because a few people, that's, and that's I feel funny. you were going to say that. I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say, man, like surely you're accountant. No. This is what I always think. Surely accountants are numbers. Telling you this. And accountants are very good with numbers. And their job, they 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 side on the side of caution. They basically just want to make sure you don't get in trouble from the ATO and that if you ever were to get audited, you know, everything's done by the book. Mm. Whereas a business coach to help me with strategy thinks completely different to an accountant. Mm. I can read a P&L, I can read a balance sheet, I can read a cash flow forecast, right? I can do all that. My accountant does it better than me, but I, I know enough to get by. But yeah. when it comes to strategy, Talking to the accountant, he's not going to walk into my factory and say, well, if you buy that other business, it's going to come with these extra printers, that extra application table, that extra cutter. How are you going to fit everything? And as the owner, you can't really talk to anybody else. I can't talk to my employees because all the employees naturally are going to say, oh, it's more work. Don't do it. Yeah, uh, it's, going to, yeah, it's yeah. going to be a change. <laughs> Don't a do it. Whereas the accountant will look at the numbers and say, oh, look, if it works, you know, it'll pay off if it doesn't work you know, it's going to hurt you. Whereas a business coach coming in and looking at the physical plan of my mm. business, coming with me to the other premises and and nutting out the finer details with me, you know, mm. that's where the value is in a business coach. And, you know, for the X amount of dollars you spend a month, again, startups wouldn't get a business coach in necessarily, you know, to the extent I was paying. But him coming in and costing me a few thousand dollars a month generated me hundreds of thousands of dollars in sales at the end of the year because... There was an opportunity. Yeah. And again, he plays devil's advocate too. So he'll turn around and say, look, this is what could happen, but this is what could happen if you worked hard and if you were smart and we did it this way. I want you to know? ask two questions with this, right? Number one is how much were you paying your accountant monthly for their service? Number two, that strategy coach, how much were you paying them every single month for their advice on a monthly basis? <laughs> the coach was a lot more than the accountant. Oh, I could imagine. But say, yeah. okay, so you got your, you got your accountant. How much was that? The accountant, bucks a month, no, like no, it was, mate, I, to be honest, I'm bad with what I was paying because if I'm happy with the service, it is what it is. It was, mate, I'm guessing it was probably six or $700 a month. I'm not sure. For the accountant? For the accountant. Got you. Okay. That's, yeah, it's and, a pretty the, and the, coaches, the coaches combined were a few thousand dollars. A few thousand. So combined for both of them was a few thousand. Yeah. You, and I want to ask you, because there's actually someone I have in mind with this, right? If your accountant said, well, if your accountant gave you both the accounting as well as the strategy coach and what they were giving you and came to you and said, hey, well, I'm going to charge you 1500 bucks a month for that, for both the strategy as well as the numbers, and then combining both their financial knowledge and accounting knowledge with that strategy. I'm not saying that there's people out there that can do it, but you know, if that, if that did exist, would you happily, I mean, how much would you pay for a coach that also was your accountant? That's a tough time? one. That's a tough one because I've gone down the, the road of a coach. Yeah. And I've spoken to a few accountants already. Mm. Accountants don't want to be coaches. Yeah. They're numbers people. They're numbers people. They <laughs> love the numbers. Right. It's just That's like right. saying to a, a uh, someone that mows your lawns, can you also do a landscape design? But what if, what if an accountant, I know what you're saying, right? 
What if an accountant had brought someone into their business that focused on that and all they had to do was deliver? So, yeah. You know what I mean? And then they said, okay, combined with this, like would you have ever yeah. sought? If, if, that, if that service was there, yeah, I would. Because for me, Joint um, Venture Alliance right now, a big focus for me, mm. are accountants. And the reason I'm, I want to align with accountants is because they're very good at the numbers. And mm. I know if I'm dealing with their clients, I'm going to have a p and I'm going to have a GP I can look at. Yeah. I'm going to have a net profit I can look at. Because a lot of people don't understand revenue. They don't mm. understand GP and net profit. That's right. They don't understand their, their balance sheet, you know, how much they might look at their business and say, you know what, I've got all this money coming in, but why is there no money in the bank account? Yeah. The accountants are very good at giving them the history, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, they can cash flow forecast, but who knows what the future could hold. Um, if my accountant offered that service back then, would I have taken it? Yeah, I would have, but the difference is when you use a coach, you're using someone with experience. Mm. And if someone is experienced, generally they're also entrepreneurial. Yeah. So the accountant might think, you know what, this person's going to take my clients or could potentially take my clients. And I'm not saying they will or they won't, but it's, it's a big hypothetical, I know. Mm. Um, but would I have used it back in the day? Yeah, I probably would have. But mm. now as an experienced business owner, no, I'd, they're chalk and cheese. I'd well, use my accountant for I accounting. I asked that question, right, because I had you in mind and I thought, okay, so if you had someone like yourself collaborate with accountants, but the accountants could sell it as part of their retainer. Yeah. You could you could have it so that way you you go direct, but then you can look at it from another perspective and go, well, yeah, like, you know, you can just charge it through the accountant. They're already paying them anyway. Sign a contract, happy days. A guy comes in, his name's Phil, best guy in the world, walks in and, and transforms your business and really gives you that accountability, that advice, those areas for improvement, and really looks at those things. So it helps generate wealth for you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's because that, when I think about accountants, I had this, and this is what happened with me, right? I had this for the longest time. I would sit there and I'd go, so why didn't you tell me to shut down the business when, you know, back in March when I should have? I should have shut it down, kept the, kept the money instead of trying to, you know, pour all that money back into it. Yeah. You should have told me that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then my accountant sits there and goes, man, like, <laughs> you know, I, can, I only know the numbers. Yeah. Right? And so then, but I feel like, if I had you as a business coach, you would have sat there and went, well, you know what, Dean, you've got three or four existing contracts, shut down the website, stop spending money on ads. This is just a fad. It's a period of time. It's going to die down. But the contracts that you have with one, two, and three, they'll, they'll go out for the next three, four, five months. Yeah. Fin finish those contracts. There's a slim chance that they'll you know, repurchase because this, this fad will be over. Uh, but at the same time, if they do renew, you can still trade under the same name. You still get that phone call, that email, but you're just spending less effort, time, energy on that. And so, yeah. you know, utilize the capital in there to channel that to something else or, you know, just pay yourself a dividend for fuck's sake. That's what I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, like that's what I look at. And that's why I brought that up because I was like, you know what, you could, you could probably really work well with accountants because that's, that's, what I, that's what my expectation was from my accountant. And I feel like from the conversations I've had with a lot of other business owners, that's also their expectations because they see these movies, they see these big corporate deals being done where Telstra acquires uh, Sintel or whatever, you know. I'm just coming up with random names here, right? <laughs> um, 
But Telstra acquires these people and then there's all these accounting people and business people in the room. And then, you know, in your mind, you're just like, yeah, yeah, well, that's my accountant's job. He, he sits there and says, you should acquire this company and that'll increase your bottom line and do this and do that. And obviously in a big corporate level, that may be the case because right, they've got right, these yeah. massive finance teams and lawyers. Mate, small to medium business owners don't have access to an accountant three or four times a month. Yeah. You know, most of right. them will see him once a year. And that's the issue. My accountant was really good because then he started doing tax planning with me. So we started meet. I know I never used to meet my accountant more than once a year. Yeah, well. Wow. And then I started meeting him every May. So May we do tax planning. And then as the business started to grow, it was then more regular. Um, and I probably I would speak to him probably every month, if maximum every six weeks. Um, just in general. But mm. I was on top of my things. I also had an external bookkeeper and every month I'd speak to the bookkeeper. Every single week, I'd pull a P&L. So we'd pay all the bills to suppliers. Mm. I'd pull a P&L, pull all of our surveys and pull all of who paid us this week mm. um, within the last seven days. So I knew every seven days where my business was at. People with their accountants, they generally, this is a generalised comment, will see them once a year. Yeah. Whereas with a business coach, like what you were saying, if I was coaching you at the time when you were working in that other business, I'd be looking at your figures every single week, fortnight or month at the most, depending on what service you take. I think at the time, we probably would have been looking at it every day. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but look, if we were looking at it, say say we had a weekly catch-up session as a business yeah. coach, we'd turn around and we'd say, okay, what were your figures last week? Yeah. What were your big sellers? What were your bad sellers? What were your big sellers? What were your bad sellers? Every single week or every single fortnight, again, depending on how often we'd meet. So then we could start to see the trend and, you know, we'd chuck it into a scorecard. So then we could see whatever this was. Okay, this is going down. That's going up. Okay, we've got this trend. This is going to happen. So let's start making some changes now. Mm. Whereas, like I said earlier, accountants will talk to you about history. They're going to do your P&L the year after the fact. Yeah. You know, so I think as a business coach, you're that, again, those three things I say, we're a sounding board, hold you accountable and that extra set of eyes. Yeah. You know, and I think that's where business coaching is important. Um, that advisor that you've got in your corner. Mm. And it's something that's flexible and fluid. Yeah, we've got a structure that we put an implementation plan together and we say these are the areas we're going to focus on. There are 40 areas. You know, we put it in order of what we think will work for the client. But if I come in, the first, one of the first questions is, how's family life? How's business life? How satisfied are you? Mm. And what are the biggest challenges you've had? So that's the third question. What was your biggest challenge since our last meeting? And if it's something completely different to what our plan said, that's going to be the focus now. Because yeah. at the end of the day, the business owner needs to have a clear mind. If I'm saying, okay, this week we're going to be talking about e-letters, okay, what are you going to do in regards to e-letters? Have you found a CRM? But you've turned around and you said, you know what, I've just had four staff resign on me. How am I going to replace oh, the shift? I'm not even thinking about that you anymore. Know, yeah. You don't care about the e-letter. <laughs> so it's right. like, okay. Let's get on Seek. Let's get on Gumtree. Let's start putting all those ads out and start hiring people. Yeah. Can you call on other resources? So, again, it just depends on the problem at the time, whatever the hot topic is on that week. You know what it's like? It's like, you know, you're in a panic. And I've been in this situation recently, um, you know, and I've been in a panic. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, that this happening, there's that happening, there's this problem, there's that problem. And there's just all this stuff that was just happening all at once. Yeah. And, you know, I had this, this one individual and I let them know, said, hey, this is what's happening. Um, it was just me venting, me just telling someone because I felt like I needed to tell someone. And they turned around to me and they're like, listen, take a deep breath, calm down. 
and just what's the most urgent thing that you need to do right now? What's the first most urgent thing you need to do? And I was like, yeah, okay, you know what? You're right, this. I need to do this first. So then once you've done this, um, then you can go move on to the next thing. And that really calmed me down, sort of let me realign my focus because it does, it gets chaotic. And so I, I like, I kind of get what you're saying in the sense that having a coach was like, well, hold on, we've got these problems to deal with now. Forget about everything else. Forget about all those things that were happening. Let's focus on like, you know, there's, we've got four people that quit their job. Okay, let's jump on seek. Let's do this. Let's do that. And I, and I, I would, you know, obviously I found that through someone else, but I mean, from a business point of view with what you're saying, you can definitely find that through a coach as well. I, I, I can see that being, okay, well now the problem is this. And then you sort of stepping in, giving a bit of that reassurance as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? I feel like, you know, having a business coach is something that is very wide in the sense of what can be offered. It can be accountability. It can be looking at your bottom line, increasing profits, strategy. Um, you know what I mean? As well as things like that reassuring times when things are getting a bit chaotic. And yeah. just, you know what? It's okay. Don't worry. We'll work it out. You know, it's all good. I, I, I see that. And, and I think I, like, that's something that I've come to appreciate as well. So... Yeah. yeah. Mate, look, I think we all just need someone to bounce ideas off. And yeah, mine is more a more formal structure with the business that I'm about to go into. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that everybody has at least one other person or two other people that they can actually talk to. It doesn't have to be official. It could just be someone that they respect, someone they look up to, mm. or someone that's in a similar, in the same industry. Um, because we all know what we've got to do or we have something we're not sure, you know, you might say, should I do this or should I do that? Um, having someone to bounce ideas off is super important. And then that person, if they're a friend or they're a good mentor, they're going to give you, they're going to have interest. So you might say, you know what, you, Dean, you might come at me and say, you know, hey, Phil, I'm thinking of starting up this, start your business in a day program. What do you reckon? Mm. You know, and I think I remember saying to you at the time, I don't think you can do it. I think it's too hard. Um, and I don't know if that gave you a little bit of, okay, well, Phil thinks I can't do it, but you've turned around and you've now launched it mm. and you've done it. And I thought, wow, yeah, Dean, Dean proved me wrong. Not that I was, it was right or wrong. It was just for me. Um, yeah. But the way, you know, we then caught up a few weeks later after you first told me, and then you showed me how you were going to do it and you showed me some of the softwares up there on the bench and I was like, wow. Yeah. You know, fuck, he, can, he, he did it. Yeah. So Dean did it. You know, you're about to launch and, you know, I think, I think you're going to do quite well with it. Mm. But I think at that time, I'm not your coach. I think we're just, we just talk and we just bounce ideas off each other. And mm. I think you then talking to me about it, but no doubt you obviously would have spoken to a whole stack of other people. It wasn't just Phil. It was, I'm guessing, at least five to ten other people you spoke to. It was a lot. And then everybody would have given you their two cents worth, either a pat on the back they would have, some might have pissed in your pocket and just told you what you wanted to hear and say, yeah, yeah, that'll work, that'll work. Um, but I, I think the best, you know, feedback comes from those that will tell you what won't work, yeah. you know, because there's no point in me saying, yeah, yeah that's going to work, Dean. Like our, our family all mean well. No what, what, what really sort of made it for me was I, I kind of, I kind of realised that I was asking like established business owners mm. like yourself. And I realised I, I was asking that's the wrong right. people for, for what they thought. And so for me, I realized that, like, you know, I was like, you know, certain people were saying certain things and I was a little bit disheartened and I was like, oh, fuck, I have to, you know, re-envision what it is that I'm, and then I kind of, I mean, hold on, before I start changing what the concept is that I'm truly passionate about, let's talk to the people that would benefit from that course, that 
thing that I'm about to launch. And so I, I kind of sat there and I was like, all right, so I, I don't need to ask established business people. I don't need to ask people who are in jobs that, you know, have zero intention of starting a business anytime soon. I need to ask people that are fresh, ripe, I'm ready to start a business, get their advice. Yep. What do they think of this? How do they feel they would benefit from this? Ask them the questions. Ask them the things that they feel won't work. Ask the business owners, hey, I'm running a business and, you know, what do you think of the, you know, the more in-depth part of it? Not the concept of the business, but some of the more intricacies in between. And that's where I would be asking you those questions and I would yeah. get ripe, fruitful answers from versus the validation part, which was I'm not going to go ask an established business owner, would you pay $49 or $149 for a startup course? That's you right. know what I mean? I need to be going out to people who want to start a business and say, hey, you know, would you pay $149 to do a course that shows you how to get started in a day and gives you all the resources, all the systems, everything that you could ever possibly need and make it look like you've been around for 10 years. Would you pay $149 for that? Answers yes. And so that's what I realized for me. Um, it, was, it was really just looking at that and going, well, I was asking the wrong people too, which is I think is an important thing too for validating concepts. No, as that's well. right. And, and it comes down to research. You're, you were looking at a specific segment of the market. Mm. And yeah, you were asking me and, and my mind isn't in that headspace. So yeah, I've been in business for a long time, but I don't think in that space. And it doesn't why make I'm it right a startup wrong. coach and you're a coach for people that are growing. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's exactly yeah. right. So, and, mate, and that's right. And, and that was a lesson for me too. It was, you know what? Yeah, I gave you my opinion, but it taught me too. So when it comes to coaching, mm. um, Seeing you do this, I'm now thinking, you know what, when a customer, come, a client comes up to me and there's a certain specific issue, I don't know all the answers, but I know who to send them to. So yeah. if someone says, you know what, I've got, I want to start up a new division in my business, I can help them with that. But if they come up and say, hey, I've, I've got a friend who wants to start up a new business, well, it's not my space. Look, I know this guy, Dean, here's mm. his number, here's his website. That's Go right. check him out. He'll be able to help you out. That's you right. Know? So and that's where... so. I think it's important in business to know. You don't have to know all the answers in business. You know, we've got our phones at the, you know, in our hands all day that we just need to know where to look for the answers. Yeah, that's, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, look, you know, it's just sort of in conclusion, it's outlook, man, it's been an awesome interview, honestly. And uh, funny enough, I haven't heard, as long as we've known each other, because we've known, geez, how long now? Almost Ooh, uh, eight years, maybe. Yeah, I think coming on nine. What's it? So yeah. two. No, it would be eight. It's about... Yeah, no, we've no, crossed paths here and there. It is yeah. nine. This year, it's nine. Yeah. Yeah. So this year is nine years we've known each other. Um, and, you know, I've never heard that story either about, you know, how Wild Effects came to be and how you were, a, you know, a print broker at the time as well and how that's how you started off. I had no idea about that. So when I heard that, I was like, yeah, you know, I love that because that's what I was doing with you, if you don't yeah, remember. Actually, right? yeah. And that's it. There were, I had five other businesses in Wild Effects. Yeah had wild effects building maintenance and all these other offshoots that oh, they, they can be for another time. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I get ya. I get ya. But yeah, mate, look, honestly, great interview. If you were to leave our audience with one final remark, uh, keeping in mind that there's a lot of people here that are starting a business. I know you're more aligned and focused with people growing a business. But if you were to yeah. take your knowledge from growing a business and take something there that you feel is, is is important to include with starting a business, what would that be? Every business is a marketing business. Every single business is a marketing business. 
Um, what do I mean by that? You've got to naturally have your social media, you've got to have your website, etc., etc., um, and get all your, I suppose, get all your, all your marketing done up and running because at the end of the day, irrespective of what business you're in, we all are in the business of marketing. Sales, nobody's, yeah. no, nobody's going to know about your business unless they can find you, whether it be in person, a physical, pres- a physical location or online, whether it be through social or website. Um, and then the other thing is consistency is king. And mm. what I mean by that is there's no point just getting a social media page and then not putting anything on there. Mm. You've got to be posting regularly. Yeah. If, if you've got a database, you've got to manage and mass- massage that database regularly. You've got to get into their pocket, into their handheld, into their mobile. So through email and through social and through website, they've got to see you around. And if you've got a physical business, you know, through posters, billboards, window graphics, etc. So mm. one is always be marketing and two is consistency is king. Literally always be marketing. Yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> Mate, that. And, and that's it. I love that. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's everything that I'm teaching everyone as well. Sales first, marketing second. That is literally the driver for any business. And as long as you've got those things organized, you're sweet. Well, Phil, mate, thank you so much for coming by. Uh, It's been a remarkable interview and I'm pretty sure a lot of the people that are listening have taken away a lot of value from today's today's podcast. Guys, next week, uh, we'll we'll, we'll go and... uh, We'll, we'll say our final remarks after uh, after this, but uh, mate, you know, next week, guys, we, we've got our, uh, a few more interviews coming up. There's quite a lot of interviews actually from a very diverse range of, of business owners. And we said this at the start from the very first introductory episode, we're not gonna bring you just those people that ran an e-commerce business and made millions of dollars online. You know, a lot of the people that are listening to this, they just wanna start an everyday business or a side hustle to get them going or make some extra income. We are going to deliver and we're going to be delivering a diverse range of interviews to every single one of you guys that are listening. And we really look forward to you listening into our episode next week. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to notifications on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, whichever platform that you're listening on, as well as going and having a look on our Facebook page as well. We'll be posting some regular content as well as updates about our course. Uh, and guys, if you ever want to reach out, it's support at launchday.au. You can get in touch and have a chat to any one of us at any time. If you have questions for Phil, for example, I can forward them on to him as well. You're more than welcome to send us that email so we can put you in touch. Phil, thank you so much for coming by. Really, really appreciate it, mate. No, thank you, man. I had a really good time. It was great sitting down here chatting and hopefully we can do it again soon. I, I definitely think we can and we'll pick some, some new topics, maybe... Uh, after maybe a few coaching sessions with some other people. If you've got some advice that you want to bring to the community, let me know. I'm more than happy to have you here, man. Thank you so much. Good to know. Thank you. No worries. Have a great one. Take care.